you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We are in a Gospels series. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 4 and we talked about the temptation of Jesus and we looked at how he responded to Satan when he was being tempted and how we can apply those things into our own lives. And we memorized that verse that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this week, we're going to look at an account where Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And if you notice in Matthew's chapter 8, 9, and 10, there's many accounts where Jesus is healing people. And so this message this morning is simply entitled, Jesus, Our Healer. And we recognize him as someone who still heals today. That has not stopped. He still is one who heals today. Spiritually all the way over to physically Jesus heals. And uh, if you remember when I gave the James message, the, the series that we just got out of the very last message was one about healing and the power of prayer. And we kind of already walked through some of this, but today we're going to go a little bit further. And I said there's two different spectrums like all the way over one way or the other way when it comes to healing today. One spectrum says Jesus doesn't heal today. And then the, the other spectrum says, well, you, you just need a little more faith and God would heal you. And, and these are wrong viewpoints based on uh, what you see in Scripture and how you see things operating today. But understanding that Jesus still heals today and he just, he does need faith. And he, he, you see that in several accounts here as people come to Jesus in faith, he actually points that out because of your faith, because of your faith. And we'll walk through that here in a moment. But before we read, I want to pray with you and just pray over this time. This is God's word. We believe he speaks to us through his word. And so let's pray together before we hear from him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together where we we get into your word and we are trusting that you are speaking, so we lean in. We want to hear from you. We want to grow in our walk with you. We ask that you'd come and you'd minister in the way that you see fit. May our hearts be ready to receive from you. And Lord, I pray that you would quiet our hearts to receive. And anything that's on our heart or mind, any kind of distraction, any kind of burden, we just place that at the foot of the cross. And we just, with our open arms now, and our open hearts, we want to receive from you. So thank you for this time, Lord. We ask for your blessing upon us. Please use me, Lord, in presenting this message today. May I be an open vessel to your spirit. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, Matthew chapter 9, starting here in verse 1. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Now some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Well, Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? 
So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, and he went home. Now fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for giving humans such authority. Okay, now we're going to walk through this pretty much verse by verse here. We've only got about eight verses. And we're going to start, though, with verse 2. I mean, verse 1 basically tells us Jesus climbs into a boat. He goes back over to uh, his own town. And then this miracle begins to take place. This miracle, this account, you can find this also in Mark chapter 2 and also in Luke chapter 5. In verse 2, Jesus points out the faith of the friends who brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. Now, if you've heard this story before or if you've read it in the other accounts, Jesus is in a house and it is filled with people, so much to the point that you can't actually get into the home. Like you go to the front door, it's crowded. You can't get in. So these four friends take it upon themselves to climb up on top of the roof and begin to cut away at the ceiling in order to be able to lower this paralyzed man down to Jesus so that he can be ministered to. And Jesus recognizes the faith of this paralyzed man's friends. I think it's interesting. I like Max Licato's words here. He says, let's be clear, the life of this unnamed paralytic man was changed on this day because of the power of Jesus, because of the grace of Jesus. But let's not overlook this phenomenal little community of friends that this guy had who loved him deeply, and they went to remarkable lengths. And he says, even a little bit of evangelism. To get this man to Jesus, they break through the home. They go through great lengths. That's a bit socially awkward, isn't it? I mean, busting through the roof. That grab your attention, right? A little drywall starting to fall on, on your lap, and you're going, what in the world's going on? And, and we lower a man down to Jesus so that he can be healed. Okay, most people would be like, uh, what? And I think when we minister day in and day out, guys, there's going to be times we're ministering to people is going to be a little bit awkward. It's going to be a little bit outside maybe the social norm. And we're going to have to go some great lengths to minister people. And we, uh, if we will, walk across the room, and it takes great courage to approach somebody and go, I don't know how they're going to respond to this, but I feel like I'm supposed to pray with you. I want to lead you into an encounter with Jesus. Now we'll talk more about that, but I think it's important to recognize, I said one of the spectrums here that's false is, well, you just need enough faith, okay? So the balance here, though, is you see in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, several times where Jesus commends people for their faith, and then he heals. And so I just want to challenge us with, it's not the measure, like how much faith do you have, it's just simply the fact that you have faith that he can heal. And these people came with simply the presence of their faith, believing that Jesus can do a miracle, and he recognizes them for that. Now, I also think that Jesus can heal even when people don't have faith. Okay, think of people that he healed 
They maybe didn't quite know who he was yet. But they bring this paralyzed man, and seeing their faith, he responds. And then he blows the room a little bit out of the water. <clears throat> Down comes this man. He's paralyzed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And that set the crowd off, especially those religious leaders. The miracles of previous chapters demonstrate that the authority of Jesus is powerful over disease and nature and demons, and now he reveals to people that he has power over sin. And some might argue that Jesus knew there was an, a sin issue in this man's life. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, people thought, well, you're sick because there's a sin issue. Okay, and Pharisees just ran to that. So it's hard to know if Jesus is trying to separate those two by saying, you know, it's not because he's sick that, or it's not because he sinned that he's sick. But some people actually do think that in this specific situation, this man did have a sin issue in his life for Jesus to address his sin first. Okay? But just because you're sick in this world does not mean that you have a sin issue. Okay? That's a false teaching there. Sometimes it can be because there's a sin issue, but that's not always the case. And so he begins to address this man spiritually and these teachers got ticked off and they said, that is blasphemy. I mean, blasphemy means we're, we're acting or speaking sacrilegiously. And they would have considered Jesus speaking in that manner because, I mean, who does he think he is that he can forgive sin? That's something only God can do. And here he's granting him forgiveness to equate yourself as God or to claim to be God would be blasphemy. And in the Old Testament, the punishment for that was death. So you can imagine the shock in this room when Jesus addresses his sin. I love how it, it just goes a little step further with verse 4. It says that Jesus knew what these people were thinking. Not only can he forgive sin, but God is all-knowing, and he knows each and every one of our thoughts. There's a lot of people in this room. I can only guess what some of you might be thinking. God knows each and every one of your thoughts. Isn't that just amazing? He knows every detail about our life good or bad. And in this case, not so great because he tells them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Jesus knows. Psalm 94 verse 11 says, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. And in Psalm 139 verse 2, the Bible says, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar. He knows our thought life. And for some people, that can be a great relief to know that God knows you that intimately. And for some people, if they're not right with God, that can be a very terrifying truth. He knows everything about me? Yes, he does. 
and he knows enough about this man to know whether or not he's actually sick because of a sin issue. But whatever the case in this man's life, we can speculate, is he sick because of sin, or is he just simply sick because we live in a sin-cursed world and he is paralyzed? But Jesus says, is it easier for you to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? What do you think is the bigger miracle here? Your sins are forgiven or be healed. Stand up, walk out of here. Okay, your sins are forgiven clearly would be the bigger miracle. Okay, but to just simply say your sins are forgiven, nobody in this room knows really if that's the case. So when Jesus says, is it easier for me to say your sins be forgiven or stand up and walk, he's making it a point now because the man gets up and he walks. And the whole place is amazed. And it's like, well, clearly if he has the power to do that, then whatever he just said to that man about his sin issue, he must have meant something about that. And he's got their attention. Of course, the religious leaders, they're upset. They're ticked off. In their minds, he just committed blasphemy. And Jesus performs this miracle. The man, he jumps up, verse 7, and he leaves. He jumps up and goes home. And you think about how that room reacted that day. I'm sure people in that, that room knew this man. Oh, that's Frank. Just saw him last Tuesday. He was still paralyzed. But here he is walking out of the room. You just think, that had to blow some people away. And you think of these kinds of stories and these accounts that people have with Jesus, and the question is, does, do these things still happen today? And I, I felt like, you know, I think we need to just kind of stop the car a little bit, and I just want to testify to some ways in which Jesus still does heal today. Okay, so this is a bit of a timeout, but just to share testimony of ways that I've seen this happen in my life or accounts that I've heard or had told to me in which Jesus still heals today. One of which, um, I've had a couple back surgeries, and there was a season when I was in youth ministry, it was just about a one or two week period where I was in such back pain, I was literally laying on the couch, I could not really go anywhere. Brady had something here at the church that she had to go to, and there was a, an individual from our church that felt a strong impression from the Holy Spirit to tell Brady, I want you to go home, lay hands on him, and he's going to be healed. And Brady's like, okay, we'll give it a try, right? And so she comes home, and she says, hey, uh, so-and-so was at church tonight, and um, they told me, I, you know, they just said they felt like the Lord impressed this upon them, and so I'm, I'm going to pray with you. And I'm like, all right. And folks, she prayed, and I was healed. And I was able to walk up, walk around the house. I'm like, we're good. Okay, good stuff. Okay, another situation. I was uh, going through a convenience store one day, and there was an individual that I knew in that gas station that had had some kind of cold to the point where they lost their voice. Now, I know I've shared this in a message one time. But if you haven't heard this story, I just think it's so cool because it's just like the Lord prompted me, I want you to pray for that individual. And so there we are in the convenience store and they said, well, I lost my voice. And I said, oh no. Like, I go, let's pray for that. Would you be okay if I prayed? So I'm like, I'm around the counter now 
back where the employees are supposed to be. And we're just praying that God would touch this individual's voice and bring healing. And it wasn't like on the spot, the person's like, I can speak, listen, I, we, woo, the miracle took place. It was just, we're going to pray and we're going to trust that God's going to be at work here. And I left. Well, I came back in later that week, and when that person caught my eye, they go, hey, hey, my voice is back. They got their voice back, and God healed, and we just, at that point, we think, well, the Lord touched their voice, and they got it back, and that miracle took place. And they were really struggling with that. That was something they were concerned about. Is this something that might be permanent now? It wasn't like, just give me a couple days. They were genuinely concerned that they may have lost their voice. Okay, I think back to a youth ministry trip and some of the individuals that are here in the building, maybe college students or, or things like that, you might remember this trip. And it's been a while since I've shared this experience, but we took kids down to St. Louis, Missouri for a ministry called Dare to Share, okay? sharing the gospel. You know, Are you courageous enough to step out in faith and do that? <clears throat> and you know, we were at the hotel. It was like the last morning we were supposed to be there. And you got kids all over the hotel, you know, different places. And we're getting ready to leave and things like that. And I'm just walking through. And in the hotel, there's kind of this side room with complimentary computers where you can, you know, get on the Internet and things like that. And without really thinking much of it, I'm walking through and I notice there's a lady on the floor with paramedics that are attending to her. And that just right there takes you, just you're like, whoa, what is going on here? And so you, you walk through that, and I'm thinking, okay, we, we want to make sure kids aren't just coming to this situation here. We kind of want to guard this area a little bit. So I'm talking to some of the adult leaders, kind of explaining, hey, there is a situation going on. It's not one of our adult leaders or anything like that. I actually went in to try to ID the individual just to make sure it wasn't one of the people in our party. Once I found out that it wasn't, though, I said, all right, guys, we need to pray. And if you remember uh, a guy by the name of Jordan Howell, he was helping in youth ministry at that time, and he had some kids around him in the lobby, and they were praying uh, that, that God would revive this person because they did indicate this person does not have a heartbeat. And so they were working with that individual, and so we just began to pray that God would bring that heartbeat back and it was probably 15, 20 minutes later, they were bringing this individual through on the stretcher out into the ambulance. And then, of course, right before they leave, they indicate, we do have a heartbeat. Okay, it came back. And, of course, everybody's, like, relieved and, like, thankful. And, and then, of course, at the same time, though, we're just like this crowd that Jesus had when he healed the paralyzed man. We're just excited. Like, look what God did, right? And, and even the... Like the bus guy that works at the hotel giving people rides back and forth to places. He's out there standing. He's like, everything happens for a reason, people. And, you know, I'm like, we got to go a little further than that. And so I said, uh, we prayed in Jesus' name for that person to come back and, uh, <clears throat> and they're back. So let's give the glory where it's due there and not just some general everything happens for a reason. And God does things. And the theme of that trip was God's not dead. I mean, you think about that. I, you walk away from that situation going, we prayed, they brought them back, and you could argue, well, they were going to bring them back anyways. Well, I'd rather have prayer in a situation like that. Okay, another one, a little closer to home for Brady and I, but our little guy Judah, he was uh, born with syndactyly, and it's when your hand 
uh, your digits are webbed, and so we were going to have to go through some surgeries to separate those so he had dexterity, and it's something we had to do. If we didn't do that, his hand would have actually gotten stuck and, and become immobile. And so part of that, we have to take x-rays in the whole process leading up to that. And as we're doing the x-rays, they find out there are certain bones that are missing in his hand. And so doing certain structural surgeries, they thought, well, we don't know how we're going to be able to fully do these. Part of this depends on if there's any kind of bone growth that might happen. So we now know what to pray for. Okay. Well, we take x-rays like one of the next times we're up there, and we're starting to see bones where there wasn't bones before. And so for us as a family, that one just hit real close to home. I mean, we're praying for God to do things and supernaturally bring bone into place. And our God, just who knows our bodies as complex as they are, he's the one who makes us. He knows how to work those details out. He knows how to do that. One of my very first Sundays back in worship after we had Judah, Pastor Niles message that day was about the man with the withered hand and that Jesus was going to heal him. And I'm sitting there like, I mean, you didn't plan this. Like you didn't know I was going to be sitting here that day and, you know, it was just we just felt that God was up to something with Judah's story. Folks, I've heard stories and know people who have had cysts in their bodies and people prayed and the cysts are gone. I've heard stories and met people that have prayed for people who are blind and they receive sight. And I had a friend, uh, when they were in college, they had a professor that was all the way on one spectrum that God does not heal today. And he encountered in a college moving day a student that had fallen out of the truck and had split their head open and he had nothing left to do while he waited for the ambulance wondering is this guy going to live or not and so he just prayed Lord we need you to heal and God right in front of this guy's eyes molded his head back into place now that's a guy that's all the way over here okay I think he changed a little bit after that day but Jesus heals Today, I just heard a testimony this week about a, a guy that was at a restaurant, and he began to minister to the waiter, and the, the waiter and the boss were not having it. They just they didn't want anything to do with God, and <clears throat> the Lord gave a very special word of knowledge about the manager to this man. He, he knew something about this guy's life that the Spirit gave him, and it was about an injury that he had had in college with his knee that prevented him from being able to play sports any further. And so therefore, he's just got this angry kind of bent at God. Because this happened, God must not be good, right? And so he begins to tell him this. Hey, I know why you're like this. And it's because there's an injury that's taken place in your life that kept you from sports. And of course, he's like, what are you talking about? I mean, just took the guy off guard. You talk about Jesus saying your sins are forgiven. He knows that situation, okay? And the Holy Spirit gave this guy the ability to see something into his life. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that gift that the Holy Spirit gives at different times, okay? And in this setting, in this context, he begins to minister to the man, and he says, we're going to pray for your knee. And the guy's like, what? Like in here? Like, let's go to a back room here. We're not going to do this in front of everybody, you know? So they go to a back room, 
and they begin to minister to him, and, and he said, you're kind of like, I don't think this is going to happen. And the guy that was ministering to him says, you can get in your place of unbelief all you want. I believe God's going to heal your knee. Okay, and he begins to pray for the guy, and he says, what is going on? And he began to feel what he felt was like electricity in his knee, and the man begins to just kind of unfold right before him. And he, and he, he, he just, at that point, recognizes that God is real, that God is working in this situation. And it begins, the man begins to confess. He says, I want to tell you something. I used to be a youth pastor. And then the lead pastor had an affair. And he lost his job, which led to me losing my job. And since then, it's just like I've had one bad break after another, and I'm just angry. But today... This ministry right here is just like put a fresh set of wind in his sails. Jesus still heals today. Just as that man jumped up and he walked, folks, that stuff still happens today. Okay, I'm just trying to testify that for all of us to know that people that we encounter day in and day out, they need to be ministered to, whether spiritually or physically, most importantly spiritually, but what's interesting in verse 8, it says that fear swept through the crowd as they saw all this happen. And it says, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. And they were referring specifically to the authority that Jesus spoke in. But I like how the New Living Translation words this because I want you to know something. That authority of Jesus Christ is still available today. 2 Corinthians 5 calls all of us believers Christ's ambassadors so if you're saved you have the power of the holy spirit in you and that means when when i walk out of church and i go off into the community just like all of you there are opportunities to see miracles happen every single day whether spiritually or physically we carry jesus christ with us and we can bring him into each of these situations and our memory verse for this week, as Jesus wraps up Matthew chapter 9, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The last part of that, folks, God wants you to be involved in ministry. You do not need to be a pastor to be involved in ministry. You are an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ, and you bring him in to each and every situation throughout the week. And the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So, Lord, raise up an army that's from this congregation that goes out and takes part in the harvest. We carry that power. And so, when we enter into situations, here's the thing. Here's a great question we can start to learn more in our vocabulary. Can I pray for you? Is there anything that I could pray about as we encounter with people? And then we trust, okay, God, this might be a little awkward, just like sawing a hole in a, in a roof, okay? You know, but we're going to trust that God might be doing some things. And the most important thing he could be doing, folks, is ministry in somebody's heart. Okay, physical healing, as long as they stay on this earth, is still temporary. 
They're going to still be susceptible to sickness and things like that. But, folks, sin is very deadly, and it can separate people from God for an eternity. So if there's any kind of ministry Jesus is wanting to do in and through you to other people, is spiritually. How can we minister to people spiritually this week? Well, here's some responses for us. Whether our response to miracles or, or as we're ministering to people. One of the first ones here, guys, is, is there's a turning away from sin that needs to take place. When these miracles are demonstrated, we recognize that Jesus truly is the Son of God. He does have the authority to forgive sin. And any kind of physical healing, that needs to point and glorify Jesus Christ. And, and we say, yep, he can do that. And guess what? You need him in your life. He's the one that forgives sin. And in Matthew 11, verse 20, Jesus actually begins denouncing towns where he had done many miracles. And the reason why he was denouncing them is because they had not repented of their sin and turned to God. The miracles aren't just for like a thrill. Like everybody in that house is like, whoa, did you see that? Like that miracle should take place and then people go, okay, God is real. God wants our attention here. And we should have a reverence of the one who brings the healing in Jesus Christ. And we say, okay, are there things in my life here that I need to get in check, that I need to get in order? Another thing You'll notice in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, there's a couple stopping points where Jesus, in the midst of his healing, he stops and then he calls people to follow him. So to some degree, it's like number one, but it is a bit different. Okay, because following him is saying, I want to now live my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whatever he's asking me to do, I want to do it. Okay, we follow his example. We, we follow his direction. And the other thing, too, and this is a little bit prior to Matthew 9, but in Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, I want to just read this account that Jesus has with Peter's mother-in-law. In verse 14, it says, When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, what do you think happened? The fever left. Okay. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then the very end of verse 15, it says, Then she got up, and then she prepared a meal for him. And I think we are healed to serve the Lord. So if we receive the forgiveness of sin that he brings in our life, and we're redeemed, we're set free, we are set free to serve in the kingdom of God. And so let's evaluate that. Because of the healing he's brought into my life, what am I doing in his kingdom? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've asked him to set you free from your sin, you've experienced spiritual healing. By faith you receive him into your life and Jesus covers your sin. That's a miracle. And I know we can get fascinated by a paralyzed man getting up and walking. We should be just as fascinated and just blown away 
when somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ because that's a miracle. Somebody being born again. And so let me just ask this question for all of us. As I give a message like this today, Jesus is our healer. He still heals today. We come to him in faith. Lord, could you please bring healing into this person's life? We can pray those kinds of prayers. And just keep asking. And if you remember that message in James, I said sometimes we pray and healing does not happen this side of heaven, but it happens on the other side. But ultimately, Jesus does bring healing into people's lives. And you and I, we are people to be involved in the harvest. The workers are few, so let's jump in. Let's be involved. A lot of you farmers, you're harvesting right now. And it takes several of you to get it done. You know, from the combine to the cart to the semi or whatever the operation looks like for you, it takes workers. And just like the harvest that we're experiencing in northwest Iowa, there's a spiritual harvest that God wants us to be involved in. So get your CDL and let's get to work, right? God wants us to be involved in his kingdom. So let's join him in the healing ministry that he wants to do in people's lives. Would you pray with me before we respond with worship to our healer? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who heals and still heals today. And Lord, there are people listening right now that are in need of spiritual healing. Let's just start right there. And this message today may bring you to a point where you're saying, I need to reach out to Jesus the healer and receive that healing touch in my heart right now. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive that spiritual healing that the presence of Jesus Christ brings. Simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I'm asking for you to heal me. Cleanse me from my sin. I pray that you would wash me, make me new. I receive this spiritual healing by grace through faith. I put my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. And I desire for Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Lord, it's possible that there are people listening right now that need healing in a variety of areas. Physically, mentally, Whatever it might be, Lord, we pray that you would speak into those things right now. We know you can heal. We believe it. And we're simply asking that you would touch each of these individuals. Lord, we're thankful for your grace that extends into our lives. It sets us free from sin. And I pray that our response to your healing touch in our life is to minister to people in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the authority of Jesus Christ. To be a conduit in which people come to know you. May we be open to what your Spirit is wanting to do in our lives this week as we minister to people around us. 
Lord, we thank you for this, this passage today that we were able to walk through. Help us to apply these truths into our lives. We thank you now in Jesus' name.